You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning, good morning. Nice to see you all here. It's nice to be somewhere. Don't you think? All right. I have been, um, well, basically we have been on this topic, the easy burden. And last week I spoke about the mindset of Jesus, um, focused on gratitude. And I remembered this little story about gratitude. Everybody ready for a little story this morning? Okay, good. A woman and her son were at the ocean, and she did not believe in God. And a huge wave swept her son up, carried him out to see, and he was lost. And so she didn't know what to do, so she looked up to the sky, and she cried out, If there's anyone up there, help me. And suddenly, on the horizon, this huge bird appeared, flew to her son, picked him up, brought him all the way back into shore, and softly and carefully dropped him at her feet, completely unharmed. And so she looked at her child, then she looked up to heaven, and she said, he had a hat. That's not the level of gratitude we're really after here. Anyway, I thought that was quite a marvelous thing to say this morning. Apparently not. (laughs) Live and learn. But in this sermon series, The Easy Burden, we are learning the rhythms of being yoked to Jesus. It comes out of the Gospels. Jesus says, take my yoke. He said his burden is easy. His yoke is light. As we learn from him. So we must learn and practice what I call the mindset of Jesus typified by both or at least by these two qualities, gratitude and humility. So last week we considered the value and the wisdom of the gratitude Jesus consistently demonstrated. This week we're going to marvel at the amazing humility of the Son of God. And so first, let's consider the Apostle Paul's understanding of how Jesus viewed himself. Jesus was truly humble. It's actually his humility in part that made him great. And Paul's letter to the Philippian believers includes his admonition for them to assume the same mindset. So we have on the screen uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Does everybody see that this morning? Let's do this. Why don't you stand up? Let's read this out loud. Um, I know this generation is all about devices and iPads, but I, I tell you, I just don't think anything takes the place of a real Bible. I mean, uh, pages, words. So let me encourage you to read that kind of Bible as well. But let's, let's read this together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
did not consider it something to be held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, emptied himself of his privileges, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Hold right there. I want to read these three words. He humbled himself. You're talking about very God of very God who was also man, the, the, the amazing mystery. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, somebody say therefore. Therefore, for this reason, because there is a relationship between humbling yourself and your future, therefore God also has highly exalted him. Let's read that together. And given him the name which is above every name. So you can be seated. So in this manner, Paul exhorted the brothers and the sisters, the believers in Philippi, to adopt the same mindset Jesus had. And here's what it comes down to. If you don't view life with the same mindset Jesus viewed life, you're not going to do as well as you could do. Everybody nod head until something rattles. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Not for real. His humility was the basis for his exaltation and ultimate effectiveness. And I have other translations of verse 6, which um, I want to read. Um, verse 6 and another, tran- the CEB translation. I forget what the CEB is, but it's interesting. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. He did not consider who he was, his connection as God and with God, as something to exploit. And then the message translation, verse 6 of that passage reads this way. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. I think about uh, when I used to do a lot of traveling, how important to me was my um, American Airlines status. When you got on the plane, how good a seat you got. But Jesus didn't cling to the advantages of that status. And then the Phillips translation says this, let Christ himself be your example as to what your attitude should be. For he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privileges by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as mortal man. And having become man, He humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience, even to the extent of dying. And the death he died was the death of a common criminal. So there we have the Phillips translation. So all of these open up to us 
really the wonderful nature of Jesus. And one of the points I can make this morning is when you see the humility of Jesus, it really can attract us to give ourselves to him. Do you understand what I mean? Because of, of the nature, he, he um, refused to exploit his status. Um, when we look at the humility of Jesus, contrast it in our day with what people are doing on social media. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be on social media. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Some people make their livings that way. Some people communicate, you know, it's, but, but there are a lot of people that exploit their status. That's not Jesus. Now, people exploit their status because they believe if they don't, they're not going to make it. But the marvel of Jesus was he knew if he would humble himself, his father would exalt him when the time was right. He could trust his father because he trusted his nature. We can trust Jesus. We can trust his nature. Jesus didn't see his equality with God as something to cling tightly to. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Didn't say made himself a bad reputation. He did not try to produce a reputation for himself. Jesus didn't use his privileges, but emptied himself of them. He humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. And it's for this reason. It's for Jesus having adopted that policy. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus became the world's ultimate influencer by adopting authentic humility. As Jesus made himself of no reputation, God gave him the premier reputation in all human history. Honestly, can you, can, can you say there is anyone all down through him, uh, human history better known than Jesus? I don't think you can. But look how he got there as our example. Well, from a practical standpoint, Jesus' practical humility. How did this play out in his life? Well, he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Mark chapter 1. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, how many of you know Jesus didn't need that baptism? He didn't. It was for the remission of sin. Anyway, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us, all of us, to fulfill all righteousness. Then Jesus allowed John. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and that's when the heavens were opened. The Spirit of God descended like a dove, and the Father spoke out of the heavens, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But here's the picture. Jesus, who never sinned, submitted himself to John's baptism for the forgiveness of sins as an act of humble obedience. But he did it to fulfill all righteousness, even though he didn't need to do it for himself. That's pretty remarkable. That kind of submission. Um, why did he do it? 
Well, he gave me one sentence, one sentence answer, and it is important. He said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't need it, but he did it. Everyone else needs it. There's some who don't or haven't done it, but if you need to do it, you should do it, even if you don't completely understand it. Even if you don't, because I'm going to tell you something. I've been a believer, I don't know, 40, 50 years. There's so much I still don't understand. But there really is this thing about living by faith and being humble. That's what we see of Jesus. Um, To fulfill all righteousness. Evidently, Jesus saw his life as the fulfillment of being righteous. And he saw that participating in baptism of repentance, even though he had no sins to repent of, shows that the righteousness he wanted to fulfill was the righteousness that was required, not for himself, but for all of us. So he got baptized. I've actually been baptized several times. I was uh, getting recharged, getting another shot. Oh, come on. That's okay. How many of you have never been baptized? Keep your hand down if you've never been baptized. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, here's another thing Jesus did. He obeyed his parents and he honored his elders. <laughs> Let me say that another way. Here's another way Jesus was humbled. He obeyed his parents and he honored his elders. That's the same way. I'm just repeating it. In Luke chapter 2, there's this great story about Jesus when he was 12 years old. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. When Jesus was 12, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother didn't know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So I'm not sure how you read this if the... um, Three days included the time Joseph and Mary left one more day and came back one more day. Jesus could have been in there five days. He was in there at least three. But it says this about him. He was listening and asking questions, sitting in the middle of the Pharisees and the scribes. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when his parents saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, obedient. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and here's the outcome. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. 
So as a 12-year-old, Jesus was both listening to them and asking them questions. One way you can look at that is that Jesus didn't posture himself as the smartest man in the room. I mean, at 12 years old, probably wasn't, perhaps. Who knows? But he knew how to make them marvel at 12 years old by the questions he asked. But apparently he wasn't precocious. Do you know what precocious means? You're young, you're smart, and you know it, and you act like it. That was not Jesus. One of the reasons I believe he didn't posture himself as being brilliant was he knew he had a lot to learn. Then it says that he went down, and that's a little bit of a prophetic picture of humility. He went down with Joseph and Mary and submitted to them. He said, I must be about my father's business. So Jesus' primary purpose in life was to do what his father wanted him to do, no matter what that was. I remember one of the Psalms, which actually speaks of Jesus. He says, I delight to do your will, O Lord. Now, let me make some comments here. Isn't it remarkable how different we are from Jesus? I mean, how many of us really wake up and think, I delight to do your will, O God? But he really did. There was really something in him. Now, the wonder, the more I study about humility, the more I realize I'm not humble. Um, but a step in the right direction when you're not humble is if you admit you're not humble, that is um, an, uh, an aspect of humility. But the wonder of the gospel is whatever we're lacking, we can discover based on the indwelling Christ, if we'll pay attention and if we'll yield. So anyway, at 12 years old, Jesus knew um, that God was his father, that he had an eternal destiny, yet he obeyed and subjected himself to his parents until his time had come to function independently. It looks like Jesus even lived at home until he was like 30 years old. And 30 was, based on how long people lived, that was more than half your life at 30. So even that was, was, is an interesting thing to think about. But Jesus submitted himself to the natural order of maturity. He didn't take shortcuts. He didn't exploit his legitimate status. But he humbled himself and he learned lessons of life. And he suffered his own challenges. It actually says Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Now, here's the truth. We're not going to understand everything about how Jesus grew up and how all this worked and how he was divine and yet how he was a child and how he grew and how he developed and how he learned. I don't think we're ever going to fully grasp that. But I believe personally he wasn't born knowing who he was. He had to discover himself. Anyway, isn't that something to think about? Notice this. In verse 52 that we read, Jesus increased. Let's say that word, increase. Increase. How many of you want increase? Yeah, everybody wants to do well. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Humility opened the door to increase 
in wisdom, stature, and favor with both God and men. Last week, we saw that gratitude produces increase. Now we see that humility does as well. That was the mindset of Jesus and can be ours too. Now, some people, when you think about increase and getting more and developing and growing, think that's the wrong idea. But it says of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Do you know Jesus is taking over? He wants it all. He has an increased mentality. He just doesn't see the way to do it the way natural people do. Jesus is not like Washington, D.C. He has a completely different way to get to where he's going. And let me say this, ladies and gentlemen, ultimately, their way will fail. And his way, although we haven't seen it, has already entirely without debate or question succeeded. It just hasn't entirely played out yet. But there's no other way than to live an honest, humble life before God to get to where you actually should go. There's no other way. Jesus asked the priest questions. That's powerful. He listened. That might, if we could just learn that one, let's say nothing I've said all day matters, okay? And I would like you to leave with one thing. Here's that one thing. Listen. Listen. The old adage is you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. But even Jesus would listen. He would learn. He would absorb. He asked questions of those who were farther along in their understanding than he was at 12 years old. Here's another thing to marvel at. When Jesus entered his public ministry, he had so hidden himself that the community he grew up in couldn't believe it and were offended by what he did. Isn't that remarkable? Matthew 13, verse 54. When he had come to his own country, came back to his neighborhood, he taught them in their, in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Oh, they knew who he was. Is not his mother called Mary? They knew his mother's name. And his brothers, they knew his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and his sisters. Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But the marvel of that is brewing inside Jesus was this marvelous character, nature, divine essence. I don't know how you want to put it. It was all in there, his capacities, his abilities, and people in his known neighborhood that knew every one of his brothers, how many sisters he had, his, jo his father's name, his father's occupation, his mother's name were completely taken um, back by Jesus when he began his public ministry. 
That is so, man, when we got something, we want to, we want to flash it, right? We want to show the world. That's the problem. We get a little bit of, um, oh, here's a great example. When I was in college, I got this amazing revelation out of the Psalms. It said, blessed are they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Let me repeat that. Blessed are they that love thy law, your law, and nothing shall offend them. So I had this prayer group even in college. And I said, guys, I got this amazing revelation. When we love the word of the Lord, nothing can offend us. They said, no, that's ridiculous. I said, no, come on. This is what it says. They said, oh, come on. Never offended. I said, hey, look, that's what it says. (laughs) Now, what I'm saying is our nature is that even when we get a little scrap of something, we're going, we're going to trot that thing out for the world. Jesus didn't live that way. He was patient. He took his time and he waited. I like what the prophets say about the kindness and mercy of Jesus, which are aspects of humility. Isaiah 42 verse 3 says, A bruised reed shall he not break and smoking flax Shall he not quench? He shall bring judgment unto truth. I've, I've spoken a number of times on Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 42 gives a basic description through that whole chapter of the nature, the character, the function, the life, the humility, and the boldness of Jesus. It's a prophetic picture of his life. You should read that in that context. But it says, a bruised reed shall he not break, smoking flax, Shall he not quench? He shall bring judgment unto truth. One of the commentators I read wrote this. This reference is rather a general general one to those whose inner and outer life, listen, your inner, your outer life is only hanging by a slender thread. You're barely making it. In the statement that in such a case as this, Jesus does not completely break or extinguish. There's more implied than is really expressed. Not only will he not destroy the life that's dying out, but he will actually save it. His course is not to destroy, but to save. So here it is. If your faith is weak, how how many of you ever been in that place of weak faith? Sure, if you're barely hanging on by a slender thread, if your zeal is barely burning, how will Jesus treat you? He will not finish you off. He will not push you over the edge. He won't snuff you out. He won't trample on top of you because you're an embarrassment. But Jesus will not exploit your weakness and he will not be embarrassed by your struggling. And typically, power brokers or powerful people or people building kingdoms are highly motivated people who don't want to associate with people of lesser ability. It embarrasses them. It makes them look bad. Jesus was not that way. You ever had a friend that just made you look bad? Maybe you were that friend. I don't know. But Jesus was humble enough to associate and identify with the weak and the struggling. That's why we can come to him. That's what he says. 
our, our pivotal verse we've been looking at now for about six weeks. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, Jesus is very definite, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not going to go into all the detail here, but Jesus washed his disciples' feet. How many of you have ever washed anybody else's feet? Done that. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? But when God did it, that's incredible that he would do that. Jesus continually not only modeled humility, but he lived it from his heart. It was who he was. And his example shows us that we should really serve one another with simplicity and love. Serving one another. Lord, I just want to stop and pray. Lord, um, put within our hearts that desire to serve one another. To consider... Each other is more important than ourselves. So what does all this mean to us after reading all of these verses? Well, I believe there's a spiritual principle that we've seen here repeated, and I've mentioned it, and it's about humbling ourselves. What does all this mean to us then? Well, First Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. And there was massive applause throughout the room as people rejoiced at hearing the word of the Lord. (laughs) Then it gets everybody else. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud. Is that good news? Not really. Not really. But God resists the proud. Robin, what are you saying? God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. See, it's a personal responsibility. You know, in a very raw sense, um, if you humble yourself, the Bible tells us God will exalt you. When we do our part, God does his part. But if we try to do God's part, which is exalt ourselves, then God will do our part. Um. I talk a lot about how much God loves us. How many of you are aware of that? I spend a lot of time trying to convince people that the goodness of God is so significant. It's a life-changing 
reality that we need to embrace, we need to live in. But there's another aspect of the degree to which God will resist us. And I, I mean, how many of us want the resistance of God in our lives? None of us do. I, I, something that frightens me, that's probably a wrong term, but I'll leave it at that. But it's the tendency people have to developing their theology around their life experience. If they've had difficult life experience, their God's a little bit meaner than your God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Their God's a little bit rougher than your God. Your God's a little bit more prone to do you in than I say their God. But you understand what I'm talking about. It's this relative understanding each of us have as to who God is and what God's like. But I am convinced of this. You can't establish your understanding of God based on the things that have or have not happened to you. You can't develop theology of who God is when you're hurt. It won't be accurate. It really, it really will not be accurate. What if some, this is a little what if, what if some of the things that happened to you happened to you because of your pride and not God's desire for that to happen? Do you have room for that this morning? Do you have room to take some personal responsibility? I, I was, when I saw Adam this morning, I really love Adam and Tennille, and I said to Adam, I said, Adam, are you Adamic this morning? And he said, well, the first Adam, that really got him in trouble, didn't it? And I said, yes. Actually, when you look in the beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis, you can actually see the most significant problem mankind has that captures them in those problems. When Adam and Eve fell, Adam blamed everybody everybody in the garden for what he did except the vegetation and the other animals. He blamed Eve. He blamed God. He blamed the devil. Now, that is common characteristic. That, in essence, is pride. I bet if Adam had to write up a theological treatise about what God was like, it would not be that accurate of you. Come on. Just be listening to me now. Let this seep in some of the cracks and crevices. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. It's the kindness of God that can make us great. But there's a point where we humble ourselves. What does it mean, humble yourself? See, most people think humbling yourself means humbling somebody else. Robin, here's what your problem is. Oh, okay. Please, here, two blank sheets of paper. Just fill them in and I'll read them. 
No, 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 no. That's not what it is. It's, it's to tell yourself the truth. Thomas was saying this morning, Christopher was saying this morning, that God doesn't ask for perfection. He asks for honesty. I have learned this. Whenever, whenever things go wrong in my life that seem like should have gone right, I'll tell the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm taking personal responsibility for having the wrong attitude or done the wrong thing, not even knowing if I had the wrong attitude or did the wrong thing. I'm asking for, for help. There's a place where you take that, that lower place. It bothers me when people critique the Lord. Let me say that differently. It really bothers me when people adopt a posture of being critical of the way God is. Because it's simply not fitting, ladies and gentlemen. Can I say that? It's a wrong way to live. Now, here's the other side of that. If you got that in you, tell him whatever you need to tell him, complain to whatever length you need to complain, talk to him plainly. But at the end of the day, it's never God's fault and he's never been unrighteous and he's never not done right by anyone in this room. Any other perspective is simply mistaken. That's an element of humility. Is this too harsh? Is this too hard? There's reality to it, though. Jesus himself adopted a posture of humility. My goodness, God himself? And we go off shouting and screaming and telling the world what's wrong with them? Well, I have no real smooth, slick, um, great way to make you feel to close this message this morning. I wish I did. <laughs> I simply don't. <laughs> so let's do this. Let's uh, put that responsibility on Thomas Torrey. So Thomas, <laughs> if you would come get me out of this mess, I'm in. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 